and welcome to episode 13 of the World Cycle series, The Fall of Nalareth. This episode is once again extemporaneous, but it is inspired or based on the same ideas as several short stories on my blog worldcyclepodcast.wordpress.com published in the month of November 2021. Also, thank you to Max for doing a couple of voices last minute. Enjoy. said at the end of the last piece of this story that I would move on to the war between Lythes and Takara. But I have changed my mind to some extent. The war between Lythes and Takara is complicated. Or maybe it's better to say the expansion of Lythes is complicated. There were two wars going on at the time, shall we say. One war is more complicated. That's the one that I'm going to be talking about now. The war with Takara, or with Talom and then Takara after the state formed, is, while somewhat complicated, less so. Here I will be talking about the war between Nalareth and Kalnan in general. And to talk about that I need to talk about Nalareth. Nalareth was born about a year after Discovery was created. They were a warrior. And I feel I might need to describe what a warrior is to the Kalnan. Kalnan warriors are not what we might think of as soldiers or warriors above ground. Perhaps it is best to describe them as being the opposite of vivisectionists, though that of course isn't really accurate. Warriors were, in the same way as vivisectionists, scientists and chemists, but warriors are interested in chemistry as it applies to fighting. They were interested in finding ways to deal with the monsters that were found underground. And a byproduct of that was that they developed explosives fairly early on. Warriors didn't work in opposition to vivisectionists, let's be clear about that. They worked together for the good of their clans and for the good of the people in general underground but they have a different approach, certainly. Nalareth was a warrior. Nalareth worked on developing explosives, worked on developing ways to kill monsters and to tunnel through walls. That, of course, was a side product of the development that warriors had created over the decades and centuries, was that the same tools that could be used to kill monsters could be used to break through walls and destroy things. Maybe that's a good way to set this dichotomy. Vivisectionists helped people, even if they did it in unpleasant ways, whereas warriors worked on finding ways to destroy things, even if they did it to help people. In general, up until the Age of Discovery, there were more warriors than there were vivisectionists, because 
Well, being a vivisectionist was difficult. It still is difficult in some senses. But the way that vivisectionists work, what they're named after, the fact that they operate without anesthetic, without proper painkillers, can be hard. It can be hard for people to stomach. And so warriors were more common. Of course, there were lots of other professions underground, not just vivisectionists and warriors. But right now, vivisectionists and warriors, particularly warriors, are what we're focusing on. It's fair to say that vivisectionists occupied a higher place in Kalnan society than warriors did. During the ascent, when the Kalnan arrived on the surface, vivisectionists were of course in high demand, their teachings were in high demand, but so too were warriors, much more than they typically were underground. And so, maybe it's fair to say that Nalareth got a bit more full of themselves than they had been underground. They got more enamored with their own capacity and the usefulness of their knowledge, and that's why they sided with Lythes, or that's why they went to Lythes, because Lythes offered a reward for being a warrior. Lythes offered money, of course, but also high social status. Nalareth was one of the two leaders of the Empire of Lythes, for a while at least. It certainly didn't help Nalareth's desire for fame and status when they were exiled from the clan of Vesselon. But of course they were exiled from the clan of Vesselon. Nalareth participated in a war against that clan. This, I suppose, is the connection between Nalareth and the war with Takara. When the war with Takara started, Nalareth was essentially left in charge of the expansion of the Lythes Empire. The expansion had led to the war with Takara, of course, and up until that point, Nalareth's influence had still been felt. But now, it was up to Nalareth how the empire expanded. Khan Lythes wasn't there to moderate Nalareth's opposition to Kalnan, shall we say. As the empire expanded, they met more and more villages and towns and people in general. And Khan Lythes tried to take a diplomatic approach. But also as Lythes expanded, they met more and more Kalnan, more and more people who had come to the surface during the ascent and had grown close with the people on the surface they had met, who had joined their towns or had lived nearby. And Nalareth, well, any time they ran into Kalnan, Nalareth essentially sabotaged the negotiations. Nalareth, of course, was bitter. That was part of the problem. Having had their social status among the Kalnan totally erased, brought to nothing, they were bitter. Even under Khan Lythes, there was a lot of fighting as the Lythes Empire expanded, of course. But there wasn't as much. Khan Lythes wanted to negotiate with people, wanted to prove to them that it would be beneficial to join Lythes, even if it wasn't, really. But with Khan Lythes occupied by the war with Takara, it was left to just Nalareth to manage the expansion of the empire. And it was left to Nalareth with a decreasing number of soldiers at their side. The war with Talon began about six years after Lythes had started to expand out from the initial city. And at that point, just to be clear for the rest of the episode, Nalareth had changed their pronouns from they to him, intending as he was to have children. Though of course, Nalareth never managed to have children. But that's somewhat by the by. 
By the time Nalareth was put in charge of Lythes's expansion, most of the people on the surface of Itar, which was the name of the continent before Lythes took it over, and is the name of the continent again now, of course, most of the people on Itar were friends with Kalnan. Maybe not all of them, Kalnan weren't so prolific as Vinan and Yonan were, but there were a lot of Kalnan on the surface of Itar, and a lot of them were friends with the people who had already lived there, had joined their towns or lived nearby, and had formed close connections based on sharing knowledge and technology, and, well, being neighbors, of course. And so, Nalareth's expansion of the Lythes Empire was violent. I will briefly tell the story of Nalareth's encounter with Danok. Danok was a fairly large town of about 10,000 people that Nalareth encountered not long after he was left with the role of expanding the empire. Danok was, apparently, a town that had no Kalnan. And I say apparently, because hopefully enough people still know this story. The clan of Tarvai had been in Danok for about 15 years by the time Nalareth arrived. And they didn't live on the surface in Danok. Tarvai's exit from the underground had been in the middle of Dinok, and so that entrance to the underground had been expanded and constructed upon, and so most of Tarvai and several people from Dinok lived underground right in the middle of town. But Nalareth didn't know that, of course. So when Nalareth went to treat with Dinok, none of the Kalnan were in evidence, and none of them came to the meeting. Though word was spreading out from Lythes as Vesselon and the people that had fled underground with them spread out, word had yet to reach Dinok and Tarvai. Nalareth tried to emulate Con Lythes's diplomatic approach, gained from watching this process a few times. He greeted the leaders who had come from Dinok and announced that he wished to invite them into the Lythes Empire. Why would we want to join the Empire? asked one of the leaders. Nalareth explained the benefits as he remembered Con Lythes explaining them. They would become rich with money. They would have the force of the Lythes Empire behind them. What do we need with money? Asked a different leader. Lythes still barters. What do we need with the force of the Empire? The only fight around here is with you. Nalareth took a moment to stay calm and tried to explain that with money, trading would be much easier between the people of the Empire. Tried to explain that with the force of the Empire, Dinok would always have guaranteed support in the case of emergencies. We already have agreements with our neighbours, they will come to our aid. We can already trade easily with each other, even with Lythas. Nalareth took another moment and did not quite manage to stay calm. He explained again that those things would be easier, would have a better guarantee, and, of course, Lythas would not need to invade if Dinok agreed to join. We'll, we'll think about it. Give us time. The people of Dinok deliberated for a week, seven days, and they came back after that seven days to talk to Nalareth, who had camped well outside of town so as to attempt to seem less threatening. And they came back with the same town leaders who had been at the meeting before, and also the leaders of Tarvai. The reason I tell this story is because, though it is not the sole originator of Nalareth's paranoia, it is a big spark for the way that Nalareth approached things going forward. Nalareth shrieked that he had been betrayed, that the people of Dinok had lied to him, had hidden the fact that there were Kalnan here, had hidden the fact that his enemies were here. 
What are you talking about, Nalareth? Please calm down. Nalareth personally killed the town leaders who had come to treat with him, and his troops moved immediately upon the town. That was what his troops were for. The people of Dinoc had not betrayed Nalareth, of course. That wasn't what had happened. The people of Dinoc and the clan of Tarvai were a big source of frustration for Nalareth going forward. As I mentioned, the entrance that the people of Tarvai had used to get into Dinoc had been widened and been constructed, and so people could flee through it much more quickly than they could through most of the entrances to the underground that the Kalnan had taken to the surface. And flee they did, of course. There may have been about 10,000 people in Dinoc and about 100 people in the clan of Tarvai, but there weren't that many soldiers. Because Dinoc had been right, they weren't under that much threat. They did have to fight occasionally, as has been fairly common of settled peoples for a long time. But they weren't warmongers, of course, and so they fled into the underground and they blocked the tunnel up behind them. About 9,000 people from Dinoc and about 80 of the clan of Tarvai made it underground and escaped from Nalareth and the expansion of Lythes. And so started the insurgency. Nalareth might have become more paranoid from the meeting with Dinoc, from the elders of Dinoc bringing the clan of Tarvai to the negotiations, but he was made vastly more paranoid by the insurgencies that started after the fight with Dinoc. The people of Dinoc went underground with the clan of Tarvai, and they spread out from there. They spread out and they told as many people as they could tell what would happen if they tried to negotiate with Nalareth. The insurgent campaign launched by Dinoc and Tarvai doesn't matter quite as much as the news they spread about Nalareth. As Nalareth continued outward, continued trying to expand the reach of Lythes, he met more and more people who wouldn't trust him. More and more people who had been told ahead of time that he would betray them and kill them all. And so, some people still came to negotiations, but they came to negotiations to stall. They came to negotiate with Nalareth so that their soldiers could set up barricades, could set up walls, could set up traps and explosives in the town. And then they fled into the underground, with Dinoc and Tarvai, and more and more people ended up underground, and more and more people joined the insurgent campaign against the ever-growing empire of Lythens. It's fair to say that Nalareth resisted the general trend of the culture from which he was born. He resisted the general trend of helpfulness, the general trend of sociability, of spreading knowledge for free, because that was how you developed knowledge, by spreading it as far as you could. I mentioned last time, and we should all know, of the clan of Nalareth. Nalareth was alone for a long time, as he should have been. But he did not stay alone forever. He was not the only Kalnan who could buck the general culture from which they were born. He was not the only Kalnan who was different. Not all Kalnan clans were the same. Not all Kalnan were the same. Not all Kalnan are the same. Not all people are the same. That is a point that should be made clear. And so, sometimes, Kalnan were willing to try to negotiate with Nalareth, were willing to offer their services, to offer their subjugation to Nalareth in exchange for their lives. It wasn't common, but it happened enough, 
that within the first seven years of Nalareth's control of the expansion of Lythez, about 50 Kalman joined the Lythez Empire and became the clan of Nalareth. More important, probably, were the thousands and thousands of Kalman, the hundreds of thousands of Vinan and Yonan, and even some Quenan, who fled underground rather than try to fight Nalareth and the expanding Lythez Empire. More important were the hundreds of thousands of people who had a grudge against Nalareth's expansion of Lythez. More important were the mass insurgent campaigns against Nalareth's expanding frontiers. Geography is generally, though not always, more important than numbers when it comes to warfare. The people who escaped underground had the advantage in that they controlled the far end of small passages into the underground. It was difficult, nearing impossible, for Nalareth to try to force the troops that he commanded underground. Even the cowmen who had joined Lythez found it difficult to go underground. They could be recognized, of course, people knew who they all were, and they weren't going to let them underground. They weren't going to let them go home. Not now, not anymore. But the other part of it was that Nalareth didn't want to go home. Nalareth was bitter and jealous and was afraid of Kalman. Nalareth didn't want to go home, and so he took the opposite approach. His method for trying to deal with the insurgencies, to try to deal with the groups of people who came out of the ground to bomb and ambush the expanding Lythez frontiers, was to find the exits from the underground and fill them with explosives and set them off and damn the consequences. Nalareth used too much explosives, always. Nalareth used too much force. There was nothing else that he could do, was there? He was impotent to fight this insurgency. They could disappear into the underground far too easily. And so the only solution was to use as much force as possible, to be as obvious as possible in fighting the insurgency to pack these caves and tunnels and valleys with explosives and set it all off and see what happened. Nalareth's anti-insurgency bombing campaign killed more people on the side of Lythas than the insurgents ever did. The bombings led to tunnel collapses, led to cavern collapses, led to sinkholes and avalanches and breakthroughs in the earth. They led to collapses that swallowed whole army encampments, that swallowed whole battalions of Lythez's troops. But that didn't matter so much, did it? What mattered was how loud and obvious Nalareth was in fighting the insurgency. What mattered was how violent he was. And what mattered was how he chose to solve the problem. To try to solve the problem as permanently as he could. Of course, Nalareth's first impulse was to kill all the Kalman that could be found under Itar. But, barring that, his next plan was to collapse the underground under Itar. Not much different, I'm sure you'll agree. That is the story for next time, I think. What happened to Nalareth? What happened to the underground under Itar? And then we can move on to the war with Takara.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the World Cycle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like my work, you can find my writing at worldcyclepodcast.wordpress.com. If you prefer, you can also find it at worldcycle.tumblr.com, where I cross-post the stories and also reblog some shit. If you're a real weirdo, you can also follow me on Twitter at The World Cycle, where I also cross-post the stories and really do very little else. And now, remember... Sometimes you can make someone feel better by hugging them. Sometimes you can help solve their problems. Other times you have to hug someone as an excuse to stab them in the neck. Anyway, don't stab anyone. Bye. (laughs) 